Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast. My name is Pastor John, and this is a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I am joined on this particular episode, a special episode, because I got a special guest on this episode, and I'm excited about having him join us. Our discipleship pastor, Ernest Thomas, is in the house, and he's going to help me with this particular study as we look to make it make sense when it comes to your study of God's word. In this episode, we're going to talk about word studies. How do you look up specific words to help you illuminate the text in very meaningful ways? So you don't want to miss this particular episode. Make sure you tune into it and that you have your pencil and your pen ready because we got some good notes for you to take. All right. Word studies. Pastor Thomas, why do you think it's important that people understand what word studies are? Well, I think first of all, first of all, John, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you so much for allowing somebody like me to sit next to you as we dig deeper into God's uh, word. Uh, word studies are very, very important because words are important. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the Bible begins by telling us how important words are. In Genesis, because when God in his infinite wisdom went to create the heavens and the earth, he didn't pull out uh, uh, nails and a hammer, Mm. but he spoke words and everything came into existence. Mm. Just goes to show you how important words are. But uh, in your personal devotion or Bible study, how you handle the word study itself will make or break Mm. whether or not you are really mining truth or fallacy from the word of God. Yeah. And that's why we're calling this particular session tonight. All words matter. (laughs) We know you all know about the black lives matter movement, but you didn't know about the all words matter movement. We know that every piece of scripture scripture tells us that all scripture is God breathed. That means all the genealogies are that every word in scripture, Jesus says in Luke 24, as he's on the Emmaus road, he says that every piece of scripture is about him. So as we're looking at different texts, we want to give you all tools to help you be able to unpack text. And there's no greater tool. There's some great tools, but this tool here tonight is going to be an amazing tool for you all to be able to use, but we don't want you to misuse it. So we want to make sure that you, we help you all Uh, deal with how to properly conduct a word study. Pastor Thomas, let me just go ahead and get my pet peeve out on the front end when it comes to word studies, okay? Because a lot of people approach word studies by going straight to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. They'll look up a word and they say, oh, Merriam-Webster says that this word means this. And I'm always like, we can't do that. that. That cannot happen. Because if you approach the biblical text and the word from the biblical text by looking at the English meaning, you will certainly miss the Greek and Hebrew meaning of the word 
if that's your starting point. So whenever you look at a word, you don't start in the English dictionary. As a matter of fact, I would say, especially for the listeners here, that you start in your English Bible <laughs> and look at other words that show up in the text that are similar so that you can understand what the word means in that context. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a common mistake that a lot of people make uh, in doing word study, going straight to an English dictionary. And as uh, we have to understand, God wants to reveal himself to us, and he does that through language or through words. However, there are some inherent problems that we have to deal with in our personal study of God's word. And that's, uh, you know, uh, this document, what we call the Bible, was completed uh, about 2,000 years ago. So we got a time factor. Uh, It was not written in 21st century uh, American English. Uh, so, so there are some hurdles that we have to deal with as a student of God's Word, but that's why we're here today mm-hmm. is to help people to overcome those obstacles. Yeah, I think that's very important. And so I want to make sure that we remind folks that the Bible was not originally written in English. I know that you all remember this from the past episodes that we recorded or the past sessions that we've been in, so I shouldn't have to remind you. But tonight, I think we need to to make sure that everyone understands that scripture was written in three different languages. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew, and also um, in Aramaic. And then the New Testament was written in what is called Koine Greek, which is the common Greek language. It's the slang Greek language of the day. It wasn't the uh, polished Greek language. And we mentioned this on the previous episode, but it was kind of the Ebonics of that day. So people had this common language and God saw fit that he would write the New Testament in the language that everybody would understand, which has significant implications for us. Because whenever we are reading scripture, we got to understand that God really wants us to understand what it means. He's not trying to hide anything from us. Right. And, and matter of fact, that's that's one of the great, I, I guess, insights on what God is trying to do in revealing himself to us is that he had it written, particularly New Testament, uh, in the language of the common people. Jesus, he spoke the language of the common person. And so even in our culture, we we have uh, different styles of writing and speaking. Uh, when I went to school, I took writing courses. Most of it was, you know, type of writing that you would would uh, write if you were writing a novel. Mm-hmm. But when I graduated and started working as an auditor in the business world, they sent me to a technical writing class for business people mm-hmm. because the language is different. Yeah. And so, uh, so here we have to understand that God, is trying to reveal himself, or he is revealing himself, uh, particularly in New Testament, with that common language in Greek Mm. that they used that was prevalent 2,000 years ago. Yeah. So we have said that all words matter. Well, we need to tell folks why it is that all words matter in Scripture. And we have talked about this in one of our previous episodes, but God has chosen to reveal himself to humankind in very specific ways. First of all, we have God's general revelation. We talked about this, but in Romans 1, he says that the, the glory of God is shows up in the nature of God. 
so that we are without excuse. So nature itself declares God's glory. And then there's special revelation, uh, special revelation, in the person of Jesus Christ himself, but also in God's word. So uh, as a Christian, as believers, we believe that that God's word is special revelation from God. And guess what, y'all? He uses words to get across that revelation. So it would be who of us to be able to understand what these words mean as he uses them. Correct. And, you know, when we read in the Bible, often how we see that God revealed himself, particularly in the Old Testament prophets, uh, through manifestations and dreams and visions and so forth like that. But that's limited. Yeah. Uh, and even before it was written, there was oratory. Mm-hmm. But but for it to get to the masses of people, it has been written down on paper, these God-breathed, inspired words. And so now it's up to us to dig into it, mm-hmm. to, to mine out that truth that uh, God wants to reveal to us about himself. But one, one mm-hmm. other thing, where mm-hmm. can I find that? T-shirt, all words matter. I'd like to get I don't know. One. We might have to make a T-shirt I, I, on I, that one. I'd like to get that one. We got somebody in-house <laughs> that loves making T-shirts, so we may have to make that happen. <laughs> so why else does do words matter? Well, I think the other thing that we have to be mindful of is that the meaning of words, they really do change over time. Uh, Pastor Thomas, I know both of us are music fans, so I'm going to ask you what your 1980s wardrobe looked like, and I need to know. If you had the zipper jacket that Michael Jackson wore in the bad video. I did have a similar jacket. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Now everybody imagine Pastor Thomas in the zipper jacket. We need you to wear that for a sermon time one time. But to my point, what I'm saying is in the 80s, there was this word that Michael Jackson used as part of his album. And that video was he's saying I'm bad. And that word took on a different meaning than it did in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Bad was good, was actually a good word. Uh, Words like dope were also words that were were used in the 80s and 90s. And guess what? That word's coming back today. I'm I'm hearing the youngsters hearing using the word dope and and wearing skinny jeans and, and things like that. I'm like, are we back in the 80s again? But that just tells you that the meaning of words continue to evolve over time and you have to understand the word in the context in which it was used in order for you to properly understand it. Yeah, and and we have to also understand that culture is important Mm -hmm. in giving meanings to words. Mm -hmm. And so uh, oftentimes we make the mistake uh, as 21st century American Christians in reading our Bible and we want to place it in our culture. Yes, sir. And so going back to the original meaning of the word really helps uh, take that away and get us to what God is really trying to speak to us. Mm, that's good. So I want to start with a familiar text just to kind of drive home that point that words uh, change meaning over time. And a lot of Baptist folks and black Baptist folks grew up on the King James Version of the Bible. So we would read words, and I remember as a young kid, I would read words in Scripture, and I'm like, I don't know what this means, but I'm just going to say it. And one of those words appeared in one of our favorite Psalms, right? Psalm 23, in the opening line. As I'm looking at this text, 
uh, I just chuckled because as a kid, I really didn't understand what it meant, but I sure enough knew it and could recite it. I'm going to look at verse number one here, just the first verse, because we're just looking at some examples. But this is a Psalm of David, uh, Psalm 23, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> now, as a kid, I'm like, why y'all want the Lord? If I'm if I'm reading that and understanding that it's saying I shall not want on the other end of the Lord being my shepherd. Right. Um, but uh, the word there actually is better translated. I have all that I need. Correct. So if we try to translate it based on what the word want means and it says I shall not want, then we misunderstand what that text means. Th- that's correct. And uh that's why it's important, even in your personal devotion, hmm. to have a translation that really speaks to you that you can understand. Just, just I'm not talking about the study part. I'm just yeah. talking about in the devotional piece of it. Uh, I had to put down King James years and years ago because I struggled with these and thous. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who those folk were. And so... Uh, What helped me in my personal devotion was somebody gave me a message Bible when I was 19 years old. Mm. And it it, it helped me to cause myself to really dig and fall in love with God's word because I struggled with the King James Version Mm. so that I had a translation that I understood because it's spoken plain English. You just had about two or three people that are ready to fight you right now because you said you put down that King James Version. So, I know, I know. so listen, we, if we get those emails, I'm going to send them right on over to you, Pastor Thomas, because <laughs> Pastor Thomas said that about the King James Version. <laughs> Pastor John didn't say nothing about it. I'm just telling you that you might want to make sure that you understand what the word actually means. That's all. Uh, so let's look at First Kings here, uh, chapter 18, which is another strange fa- phrase that we found in the King James Version that as a kid, I just read it and kept it moving. But got to really understand what it actually means. First Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And this is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And this is when he, he goes up against those prophets and defeats them. But as he is talking, he says this to the people. He says in verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will, or I'm going to read the King James, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Now, King James says, how long halt ye? What does halt ye mean? I don't know. I I just read it and kept going because that's what we do. We read it and keep going. But if you do go and read the other versions, and we're going to help you all understand how to conduct a word study, what you'll find in the ESV, it says, how long will you go limping between? So there's a limp between two opinions. There's this word picture. We talked about this earlier with the Hebrew words. They, they paint pictures for you, right? Correct. This is a picture of someone limping between two different opinions. Uh, it's used of Mephibosheth. Um, as he is lame in uh, earlier in the text, it talks about Mephibosheth being uh, lame, but it uses that same word for limp. So here, Elijah is using that picture to say you all are limping between two opinions here in the text. Yeah, you know, that word halt, you know, in my mind, halt means to stop. stop. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, halt, who goes there? That, that means to stop. And so if you have that type of, if you bring that type of understanding to that text, you misunderstand the text uh-huh. because good. you don't, you, you really not, uh, you're not going back to the original meaning of it. Mm. Yeah. And let's look at uh, Colossians here as the last one, chapter two. And uh, I think some of the single sisters probably read this wrongly. So let me help, let me help them out here for a second. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. Now, I'm going to read the King James Version, okay? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and feign deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, when you hear somebody spoiling you, in our context, that's somebody lavishing gifts on you. Like I'm, I'm taking care of you. Is that what the text is saying here, though? Probably not. But boy, <laughs> if I'm a sister and I'm reading that, it's like, what are you talking about? I want somebody to I lavish. Also, man, give me that American Express black card. Uh, you know, give me your gas card. You know, don't give me a diamond ring. Just give me your gas card. I mean, lavish upon like, me. I, I need somebody to spoil me. Yeah, spoil me. <laughs> Put me to bed. What can I say? Like a little baby. But the ESV actually captures the meaning of the word where it says, take you captive. Yes. There's this kidnapping component to it. So he is saying, beware that someone kidnaps your thoughts, your intentions around. uh, There were some false prophets who were being raised in the church around this time. So he is really encountering these false prophets and saying, don't let anyone take you captive or kidnap you through these false prophets prophecies and these false doctrines uh, through this uh, vain deceit, he says. So so to understand that properly, again, you cannot lean on a translation that doesn't capture what it means in our specific context, because if you read spoil, spoil you and you're like, they going to take care of me. Why would I why would I be mad about somebody spoiling me? You missed the whole point of the text itself. That's correct. And. You know, once again, you know, these are just some uh, examples to show that the proper understanding of the words uh, can change the meanings of the of the entire text. Mm. And so it's, it's important to pay attention to those words. Yeah. So let's let's turn to how we want to help you learn how to conduct word studies. And then we'll give you all an example. Uh, in the text to show you how to walk through a word study. And then we're going to give you guys some practice. We're going to allow you to be able to practice conducting a word study yourself. And we'll come back in the next session and you're going to be all, all be word study experts by the time this is over. So I hope you got your pen and your paper and you're ready. Okay. So let's talk about how, how do we conduct a word study? First of all, and this is one of the more important things I think, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, but it, cannot be emphasized enough you need to read that text in several different translations several different translations we've talked about translations that are word for word and then we talked about paraphrase trans translations and the importance of reading across that spectrum but what that's going to do for us as we're reading it is that when different translators use different words for a specific word then that's going to probably alert you that that's a good word to conduct a word study for because they can't necessarily agree 
on what it means in our context. They're like, uh, it's kind of like this in English, but we're not quite sure. So that's going to be a good candidate for it, right? Yeah, that, that that's the, not only is it the first step, it is a very important step because if you, you try to omit that, you're going to stumble out of the gate. Mm. Uh, so if whenever you're doing a study of a passage of scripture, whether it's, you know, personal devotion or even as a preacher in sermon preparation, uh, the first thing you do is read, read, and read again uh, in all these different translations, whether it's the NIV, the ESV, uh, the NLT, uh, the message if you want to go to paraphrases and stuff like that. And what it does is uh, as you read it in different Mm -hmm. translations, it's like when you go to the optometrist and uh, you're getting fitted for eyeglasses, and they click and say which one is clear or not. And, you, and as they go through the process, it becomes clearer and clearer. Yeah. That's really what's happening as you continue to read it in different translation. It, it, it gives you an old, even before you start digging into it, mm. it gives you a general idea of what the author is trying to say with that particular passage. Yeah. So let me give you all four specific translations because I don't want y'all going and get some random ones, okay? So let's start with the ESV as your primary translation, right? And then uh, check out the NASB, uh, New American Standard Bible, and then the New International Version, which is the NIV. And then finally, uh, use the New Living Translation. Now, let's be clear on the New Living Translation. That one is a paraphrase. Yes. It is not word for word, but it does use language that may be more common for us today. And it might help to add some color to the text. And it's probably one of the it's probably the best, in my estimation, of the paraphrases. The yeah. NLT it really is. And and I know when we, t- we tell people to go to all these different translations, you know, most people say, well, where, where can I find those different translations? I don't you know, I only have this mm-hmm. one Bible. And that's when you, you, you go online and a Bible gateway mm-hmm. is my friend. Any translation uh, that you can think of is out there. You type in the passage, click on which translation, and it pops up yeah. uh, for you. So, so take advantage of that free uh, online tool. Free. Just search Bible gateway or Blue Letter Bible, which is yes. another good one. Yes. But there are various websites that have numerous translations you don't have to go out and buy a 50 dollar bible for each one of these translations you just go online and the good thing about it is that many of them let you open each translation side by side so that you're able to read the text next to one another and you'll be able to see the words more more clearly there right so so let's start there at that place that's when you all do this word study that we're going to assign you all Make sure that you read it in four different translations so you can see how the authors deal with or the translators deal with that specific text. Uh, the next thing we want to do is we want to count the frequency of certain words in the text. So, for example, if you got 10 verses and one word appears five times in those 10 verses, guess what? That's a very good candidate for a word study. Unless it's the word and or but, you ain't going to get nowhere <laughs> Just trying to study and or but, okay? But if it's a, a word that looks unique enough and appears several times, then make sure you all go in and check that specific word out. Yeah, any anytime uh, God repeats himself, 
That's good. It, it's probably important. Uh, if if your mama tell you, uh, I need I need you to have those dishes washed mm-hmm. before I come home, and before she co- goes out the door, she said, "Now wash those dishes," <laughs> and she gets in her car and call you on the cell phone, saying, "Now I need those dishes washed." You you probably wanna wanna understand that having those dishes washed is pretty pretty important. So same thing with the Word of God. If if the Holy Spirit has led this author to repeat mm-hmm. a particular word two, three, four, five times within uh, w- within a text. Uh, that that means it pops up and we need to pay special attention to it. That's good. Now, on the other side of that coin, Mm -hmm. there are some things that mama only need to say one time. And when she say it one time, you better get it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. And in Scripture, it is similar in that way because there are words that appear in Scripture that only appear one time. Mm -hmm. And God is specifically using those words one time in order to emphasize something. Now, I'm about to use a big word that y'all don't need to know, but I want to make sure I get it out. Okay. It's called hypox legomenon. What does that mean, Pastor John? It's a big seminary word, which basically means it only appears one time in scripture. So scripture has a number of these hypox legomenon that are one appearance words that appear in specific text. But when those words appear, you need to make sure you slow down and study what that specific word means. And I want to give them a couple of examples so they can see what I'm talking about. Hold on. Uh, we're not going to put that word on a T-shirt, uh, first of all. <laughs> and uh, n- number two, y- yeah, there are certain words that pop up that as you've read the Bible, you just don't see it. It's a unique mm-hmm. type of word or phrase. Once again, like you say, sometimes mama doesn't, you know, mama, can I have $20? She, can, she say no. <laughs> she ain't going to repeat herself. No means no. Mm. And and so the Bible has those type of words that pop up, and you kind of say, boy, I, I haven't seen that yeah. word or phrase before. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So one of the ones we want to look at is in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. And this is during Stephen, Stephen's sermon. As he's standing uh, before these folks and uh, basically telling them about themselves prior to them stoning him. Uh, Stephen is one of the uh, deacons who was chosen in the early church. And he decides that he's going to stand up and present a sermon, which is, I think, one of my favorite sermons in the book of Acts. As he lays out the plan of God, the salvific plan of God. Uh, in ways that are understandable and also convicting for some people. So convicting that they picked up stones and stoned the man to death. Um, So he got killed for the message that he preached. Yeah, I don't want to preach a message that good. But uh, (laughs) yes, it is. It's a great message. So so look at what he says towards the end of the sermon in verse number 51. And this is the only time it appears in the New Testament. He says, you stiff necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy spirits as your fathers did. So do you, he uses this word here, this phrase here, uh, stiff necked. Now it appears several times in the old Testament, but this is the only time that it appears here in the Greek. And in the Greek, it literally means hard neck. And it comes from the word trachea, which is where we get, the trachea that's in our neck. And so it presents this word picture again, 
that these folks are refusing to turn their necks or heads and repent for their words and their actions. And he's telling them and hearkening back to the Old Testament references of the people being stiff necked for not uh, obeying the commandments of God. Yeah, he's he really is, even though it's unique in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But over and over again in the Old Testament, you found that term stiff neck, where God writes an indictment against the Israelites that you are stiff necked people. Mm -hmm. And and the whole thing is that uh, there's no repentance if 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 your neck is stiff, you can't turn away. Yeah. And and so that's what uh, that that's what he's trying to get them to understand. I have laid out the gospel plan to you. Uh, this has been revealed by God. Jesus did everything, but it's up to you to listen to it and to accept it. But you're, you're not because you're stiff-necked. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, so I also want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. And this is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth here. And as he's addressing these divisions in the church, people are fighting over who is Paul, who's Apollos, and, and Paul is reprimanding them, really saying, hey, <laughs> y'all ain't either one of ours. You actually belong to Christ. Uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. So Paul is using this language of building here in this text and saying that he's laid the foundation and that others are coming to build upon that particular foundation. It's interesting because he's not laying down a finished work. He's expecting someone else to come al along and to build upon some of the foundation that he has he has put up. I mean, this is this is kind of anti-current pastoral ministry right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It really actually goes uh, counter to the culture that we yeah. live in that I begin and complete something on my own. Yeah. Th this is, look at what I've done. But Paul mm -hmm. understands uh, that this whole thing of discipleship is a process and it takes a team to disciple people. Mm. That's, what, that's what he's doing. He, he's letting them know, yes, I laid the foundation but I'm not the end all. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, matter of fact, he, he gives this whole idea at another place where he says, uh, one, one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. Yeah. He wants to remind them mm. that they belong to God and not to him, yeah. even and, though he established the church. And Paul here lays out this theme early on here in 1 Corinthians that he builds upon in many of his other letters uh, about being kind of a foundation that's being built upon. We, we see that later in uh, some of his letters. We see that in Ephesians where he talks about us being built upon the foundation of Christ and the foundation of apostles and the prophets. So, so here he uses a word, though, that is only used once. He uses the word master builder, master builder. And that word is architecton, which is where we get the word architect in our current culture. So it comes from the word RK, begin, and tecto, trade. So I'm beginning a trade or I'm beginning to build. Uh, and Paul is saying, I'm beginning this foundational build that other folks are going to be building upon. So even then, there's a word picture 
that's involved there as he's talking about being a master builder. Yeah, can you imagine, uh, Paul, he, he established this church at Corinth, and uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible is 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. because here it is, it, is a, it, it was a mega church uh, yeah. during the time. They had members and money and prestige and everything, and Paul establishes the church and he goes away, of course, uh, but then he gets word that they have all this stuff going on, the, the division within the church. They're picking and choosing which preachers they want to hear and all that type of stuff like that. And so he's sending mm-hmm. uh, this letter to correct some of the division which is happening in the church to let them know, hey, this, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just one piece of this process. Yep. And so others will come and build upon it. Uh, because Paul understood that a no man can do it by himself, mm-hmm. and and b that no man is here forever. Yeah. That all of us have a season that we come and do the work, and then we leave, either because it's temporary or because God brings us on home to our heavenly reward. Mm, that's good. Now we're about to talk about a spooky movie. You ready? Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. Let's let's talk about a spooky movie. So some of you all may have seen this movie back in the day called Stigmata. Stigmata. And uh, we're going to talk about the word that actually comes from in the biblical text. So you can understand what Paul is saying in this text. And it's in Galatians chapter six, uh, verse number 17. Paul says something very interesting uh, as he's getting ready to close out the text in Galatians. So he says this. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What does that mean? How do you bear the marks of Jesus on your body, Paul? What is he saying there? Well, the word there is actually stigma. It only appears here uh, in Scripture in the New Testament And it's where we get the word stigmata and the movie by that same name. So if y'all saw the movie, you saw that people had this rare condition where they would have these bruises in their hands and in their feet. Um, And it was fictional, fictional. Okay. Uh, And so they called it the stigmata. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I bear the wounds of Christ. Now, he's not talking about literally there. Um, but he did, he was beaten. He, he was persecuted to a point where he was, um, he did have scars on his body. So he is using that in a figurative sense as well, saying that my body bears witness of who Christ is. Yeah. And that's, that's another theme that goes, uh, that contradicts the culture that we live in. We, mm-hmm. the culture is trying to sell us this false narrative uh, that if you're a Christian, you don't have to deal with trials or tribulations or hardships. And I shouldn't say culture that even some parts of Christianity try to sell that. But it's not biblical. Christ tells us uh, that we're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And, and Peter reminds us that suffering for Christ is good. Mm-hmm. It, it really is good. And uh, that, that this mark, that in other words, what he's trying to say, everything that I went through, mm-hmm the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, was for the cause of Christ. And that's all right. Hmm. And that's what, that's the thing we need to let people understand. It's, it's all right to suffer for Christ. If you're going to suffer, hmm. then let it be for Christ. That's good. That's good. 
So so make sure you all look for words that appear only one time in scripture. And the question now becomes, how do I do that? Pastor John, if I'm running across this word, I'm not going to know it appears only one time in scripture. Right. So this goes to our next step in how to study the Bible. Uh, you need to be able to find that word in a word study resource. And again, these are free resources that were given to you. Uh, we have a resource on our website that we have placed up there as well. Make sure you go click on that link. But this resource is included in that particular resource, because if you find it in what's called a concordance. So concordance is uh, a, a resource that takes every word in scripture and it keys it to a number and says this is the number of time that this specific word appears in scripture. The most popular version of that concordance is called the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. That concordance is as old as all get out, but it still is old faithful. So if you find the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, you'll find it comes with a four digit number. That number aligns itself with other words where that word appears in scripture. So if you're looking for one that appears once and you look up that word marks in scripture, you're only going to find one number because it only appears once. So in order to take that next step, you need to look in a concordance or something's called a Bible dictionary, Bible dictionary. And the most famous free one is called Easton's Bible dictionary. We have a link to that resource in on the website as well. So as you're working your, your way through our text that we're going to assign you circle words and then go and look up either Strong's Exhaustive Concordance or Easton's Bible Dictionary and look up the word in one of those resources. It will help you move through this process. Yeah. And the, the, the reason the concordance is, I think, a critical second step is it, it, it not only tells you the number of times, but then it lists where that word is used. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you can go back and read what other passages that word is used to kind of get an idea, and particularly mm -hmm. if it's within that particular book that yep. you're studying. Yep. Uh, but, but, and then you say, uh, make sure it's a Bible dictionary. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So I think when you look at the other occurrences of the word, you have to do what I call reading inside out. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that means is you look for other occurrences of the word in the passage that you're looking at. Right. And then you look for other occurrences of the word in the book that you're reading in. So, for example, if you're reading in Philippians and you find a word in that book once, then look for other occurrences in the book itself. That's going to help you understand whether the author is trying to develop that as a theme. Then you go further out and you look for other books in the same testament that has the word appear. So if you're reading uh, the book of Philippians and the word comes up and you find it in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, look at what they do with the word as opposed to what uh, Paul does with it in Philippians. And then finally, look at the other testament context. If you're reading in the New Testament, go back to the Old Testament. Look for that word there. The most information that you'll get about the word, though, is going to be found more immediately in the immediate context. So you'll find that in Philippians or in Pauline writings, if you're looking at the book of Philippians, right? Yeah. And, and, and what you're trying to do is really understand what is the author's intent yeah. in dealing with that particular word. And so the more you read 
within that book or if, if you're like uh, reading something from a Pauline epistle, uh, the other epistles that Paul uses, uh, writes, then you're really getting an idea of his idea about that word and you're really getting into the mind of the author. Yeah. And that really helps in understanding that particular passage. Yep, yep, I think that's good. So uh, the other thing that we want to do is to be able to ask some of the right questions, <laughs> right questions. So you want to ask how the word connects with the larger biblical story. We talked about the Bible being one story. So how does this word connect with the big picture of the Bible, the larger story? You want to ask what kind of word meanings seem like the likely meaning of the author. What is the author really, like you said, trying to say here in the text? We knew when we read halt ye, he wasn't trying to say halt, right? right. <laughs> he was trying to say that you are limping between opinions, right? And then what kind of word meaning can you determine are the unlikely interpretations? What does this not mean? That's going to help you to get towards the, the meaning itself. So, that is the process that we'll go through as we're looking at a word study. And we thought it might be a good idea for us to, to conduct the word study here live tonight so that whenever we give you all an assignment, you're going to be experts by the time we finish this word study that we're looking at right now. And we decided to look at a word that a lot of people don't want to admit they really don't understand it because it doesn't make us feel like we're as Christian as we should be. But guess what? You can admit that you don't know what it means. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what it mean before I actually studied what it meant, because it's not a word that we use in everyday nomenclature. Now, what's the word, Pastor John? The word is righteousness. And, and and so let me also say, you know, one one of the things we said, one of the keys mm -hmm. to uh, good uh, Bible study is if a word is repetitive. But another key is if it's a theological term. Mm -hmm. So if you're reading a passage or studying a passage and you come across a theological term like righteousness, mm -hmm. uh, like baptism, uh, like salvation, you want to really do a a good dive into the meaning of those words because those are not words that we use in everyday language. Yep. Yep. So let's look at Romans chapter one and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. We looked at Romans a couple of times during this study, but this is Paul's magnus opus. He has time to write his theological dis discourse on what the gospel means. And he starts here in chapter one and in verses 16 and 17, listen to what he says. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, the question is, we talked about asking the right questions of passages. What does righteousness mean? And what does the righteousness of God means? Now, if you ask 15 Christians, you might get 15 different answers on this particular word or phrase. But it actually has meaning that Paul is using in the biblical context. Yeah. An another um, challenge in doing word studies is that oftentimes uh, 
not only does the meaning of words change, as we talked about in the introduction through, through the course of time, but also words can have multiple meanings. Yep. And so we have to figure out what is the correct meaning for that passage. You mm-hmm. just can't pick and choose mm-hmm. on how you feel. You have to find out, according to that passage, what is the right, what is the right meaning. Yeah. And, you know, in linguistic terms, that means it has a semantic range, this range of meanings that you have to capture the right meaning. We talked about this previously, but if I'm saying that the vines are running up the house, they're not literally running up the house. Or if I'm going to say I'm running to the store, I'm not like Flo Joe or Usain Bolt running to the store. No, I'm just going to go to the store. So we have to understand what the meaning is here within that range of meanings because it, it's captured within the range. And that's the same thing with righteousness. Righteousness has several different meanings in Scripture, and we're going to look at some of them and then help you determine how to find how it fits in the particular context in which it is written itself. So we're going to start with reading in multiple pl- translations. That's our starting point, right? We, we gave you four. And as you look at those four translations, listen to what the NLT says for this verse. It says that we are made right in the sight of God as opposed to righteousness of God. So the writers or the translators of the NLT are trying to help us understand that righteousness here means being made right in God's sight because other translations use the word righteousness because they want to capture or, or hold on to that theological word. But NLT is saying we're trying to t- talk to the common folks. And for you to understand this, we're going to say he's going to make you right in his sight. Yeah, the, the, what the, and that's what I love about the NLT is that they're trying to make it clearer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a, a lot of translations just, just want to stick with that, uh, that terminology or that that word, theological word, but if you're if you have not already done your word study, it still leaves you confused and mm-hmm. at a loss. But the NLT is kind of giving you the the answer, yeah, uh, it, it, up front. Yeah, it's really helping you out, yeah. right? Yeah. So what we want to also look at when we look at our process at this point, we're looking at the concordance. We're saying, okay, where does righteousness appear? Uh, Not just in all of scripture, but now let's look at the book of Romans. Remember, I told you we read inside out when it comes to words. So stay in the book of Romans where he uses the word righteousness. And what you'll find is that one word appears in Romans 33 times. So Paul is using one word in Romans 33 times. That means this word's important. That should be a red flag to say, hey. Stop. Try to understand what this word means, because if you don't, you won't understand anything I'm writing in this text. That's correct. And uh, it's one of those key words in 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 that book of Romans. Uh, It's a foundational word to his whole theme, to his thought pattern and what he's trying for us to understand as believers in Christ. And if we miss this, Mm. we're going to misunderstand his whole uh his whole conversation uh, to the church at Rome. Yeah. And then so we move further out and say, what else in Paul's writings includes the word righteousness? And we find that it's the word is there 57 times overall in the Pauline text. So Paul loves righteousness. 
He loves talking about righteousness. So it might be a good idea to understand the Pauline approach to this word for righteousness itself. And then we're going to look at the Old Testament usages and then come back to the New Testament because uh, righteousness wasn't a new concept for uh, New Testament writers. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament writers used it often and then sometimes they used it to where it's translated another word that doesn't even translate righteousness that we want to look at at least one of them here. Yeah, let, let me say this. So, so when you do that, not only do you understand that uh, th- this word righteousness is important to Paul and in his writings, mm-hmm. but then we understand that it's important to God, Yeah, that it's, it's a theme throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to have a good understanding of what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Old Testament actually has three different usages of the word righteousness. Um, the first is where someone does right by another in the context of their relationship with that person, where someone does right by another person in the context of relationship. And we find that in Genesis chapter 30 uh, verses. Well, let's just look at verse number 33 in the interest of time. So Jacob is working hard for his women, uh, <laughs> Leah and Rachel. And so uh, he is prospering and they're getting ready to divide sheep and flock. And look at what Jacob says in verse number 33 uh, as he's talking about the flocks that he has taken. So he says, so my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the, the, the lambs, if you found with me, shall be counted stolen. So he was uh, dividing the flock between him and Laban. And he said, I'm going to take the speckled ones. I'm going to take the bad ones. And so he said, if you count any ones that aren't like that, then it's going to be counted as stolen. But he starts this by saying, my honesty will answer for me in the ESV. Now, that word for honesty is the Hebrew word righteousness. He's saying that my righteousness is going to answer for me if 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 any of this stuff looks like it's stolen, but it's not going to be. So I'm saying I'm standing on my integrity, my my righteousness, which is one meaning saying I'm going to do right by you, mm-hmm. Laban. Right. And and so the, first of all, you wouldn't if you were reading the ESV, which is what I have, mm-hmm. you would never know that that is the same word of righteousness just from the Hebrew, uh, unless you've already done some type of word study, you've yeah. done what you talked about, looked at it through a concordance, uh, used your inside out approach. It would have went, it never would have been on your radar. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing is we see it in a relationship type of thing between two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So so that's where we see that one instance there. And then the second one for righteousness is going to be behavior that aligns with God's will aligns with God's will. Uh, We see that in Psalm 106. 
So he says, blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. So righteousness is something you can do. It's behavior that allows you to align with God's will in your life. So you can actually do righteousness as opposed to having this do right by God or do right by the person in terms of righteousness. So there's two different meanings of the word righteousness that are, are captured here, right? Yes. Uh, the, the first one is uh, we're doing right to each other within a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's my guy. I ran out of gas. I gave him a call. He brought me some gas, helped me out. He did right by me. But mm-hmm. then there's this other uh, uh, righteousness where we do right because we understand who God is. Yes, good. And, and so we're kind of like God's ambassador. And so mm-hmm. we know God's character, and we want to mimic that here uh, on earth with other people. Mm, that's good. And then the final one I think that we need to know from the, New, from the Old Testament is being in right relationship with God. That's a final um, translation of righteousness or understanding of the word righteousness. And this is probably one of the more important ones uh, as it appears in Scripture because it's used several times in Scripture. And we have mentioned it before. So this is where God cuts the covenant with Abraham. And uh, the Bible tells us something unique about Abraham in terms of what made him righteous. In verse number six in chapter 15, it says, and Abraham and he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. So this is an accounting term for righteousness. I know you used to deal with money uh, back in your previous life. So so now he's counting uh, this belief, this faith in God as righteousness and as Abraham being in right relationship with God. So this is even a third meaning of that word righteousness. Yeah, and this is uh, probably one of the most important scriptures that that really reaffirms Mm -hmm. what we're talking about oftentimes, particularly New Testament, when we're talking about righteousness, we call I call it God's righteousness, Mm -hmm. uh, where where he places it in in our account. and so that that's the thing that I think Paul is kind of really talking about oftentimes within his epistles. Yeah, that's good. So I want to turn to the New Testament meaning uh, before we give you all your assignment, because uh, this is really important to understand kind of that New Testament nuance meaning of the word righteousness. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter three, verse number. What am I looking at here? Fifteen, fifteen. So uh, John the Baptist is a little bit nervous about baptizing Jesus. He's like, no, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus turns around and says this to him. Jesus answered him and says, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And it says, then John the Baptist consented. So So Jesus says, you baptizing me is actually going to fulfill all righteousness here in the text. Now, the interesting thing about Matthew is, and we talked about this before with Matthew being a Jewish gospel, is he uses numbers in very uh, significant ways. So he, he uses the word righteousness seven times throughout his gospel, specifically seven times, seven, the number of completion. He uses that that word righteousness. And this is 
one of those times where he says he's using that word righteousness. He's using that uh, Jewish audience to understand, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of righteousness in the scriptures. He is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham from Genesis chapter number 15, right? Yeah, yeah, and he, he understands because he's writing to a Jewish audience that they have an understanding of that word because once again, we said earlier mm -hmm. that this is not a new word that Paul brought up or used. It's not new to the New Testament. It, it's, it was also in the Old Testament. It's, it's a theme throughout the Bible. And so they're, they're familiar with that term and what it implies. Yeah, and John the Baptist here is interesting. He is uh, really worried about the power dynamic. Like you are who I know you are. And for me to baptize you means that you're subservient to me in some way. And Jesus says, the way I'm going to do right by God is by becoming a servant to his will. And that's what Paul unpacks in Philippians, where he talks about Jesus taking on the form of a servant or a slave, that Jesus, in order to fulfill all righteousness and do right by God, really inverts power here. He's saying, I'm not here to take power and to lord it over you, but I'm coming to serve you. And he unpacks that also in the Gospels as well. But there's this great power inversion. And he's saying the way I fulfill righteousness here is by coming to serve all y'all who are these complaining, murmuring folks to serve y'all by dying on the cross. Yeah. Uh, so so not only is he fulfilling uh, prophecy and fulfilling the will of God, but he's also given an example for us to follow yeah. in our everyday life by him being this this servant uh, to mankind and to God, his father. Mm, that's good. So the question now becomes, how is Paul using righteousness in Romans? Yeah, that's that's really because that was the question in the beginning. And we've kind of unpacked all of these different texts and their meaning. So the $64,000 question is, so what does Paul really mean uh, when he writes about the righteousness. Yeah. So drum roll, please, and let you give the answer. So we got three different meanings that we came up with from the New Old Testament, right? Uh, behavior that aligns with God's will. Uh, when somebody does right by another mm -hmm. in the context of relationship, we see that with Jesus in, in Matthew. And then the third one is being in right relationship with God. And that's precisely what Paul is saying. He's saying that this fulfills how you're going to be in right relationship with God is through this gospel message that I'm really about to unpack here through the book of Romans. He says, this is how you are going to be made right in your relationship with God. And then he drops another clue in chapter number four because he quotes Genesis 15, six that we just looked at where we said that when Paul, when uh, Abraham had righteousness counted to him that meant that he was made right in his relationship with god and he's saying the same way that abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness that's how you come to faith in jesus that you believe and that it is counted to you as righteousness that you're being made right in right relationship with god yeah paul paul does a great job because he understands that our biggest problem is that we're in we're, we're, we're in a broken relationship with God. David mm. said, I love what David said. David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Mm. Man, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have a chance. 
uh, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. And all of us face that condition. But Paul is letting us know that what Jesus did, now we're, uh, we're able to make it right just by accepting what he did on Calvary's cross. That's good. That's good. All right, so we, we worked through this word study with y'all, and I know that y'all are ready to do this word study that we're about to assign you, and we're looking forward to unpacking it with you next week. So go ahead and write this text down. Make sure you got all your steps in the process, because when y'all come back next go round, I know y'all are going to be ready to give us all the answers to this text, okay? So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter number one. And the entire chapter, just look at the first 30 verses and study. I'm going to give you the words. We're going to give you the words mm -hmm. to study. Okay. So we're going to look at the words joy and rejoice in that text. So um, make sure you go and look at those two words in that text and conduct word studies on those two words. Trust me. I know it's only two words, but you got enough work to do. I promise you, because <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Yes, it will. <laughs> So next go around, we're going to look at Philippians 1 uh, verses 1 through 30. But we do want to make sure we reiterate our resources for you all. So we have that resource on our website. We have a, a three, four page document that has all the links. It's a linked resource. So you can just link to the websites that are free to help you go through this work. I think one of the things that is going to help them is the Blue Letter Bible because it, it allows you to click the Strong's link within the the passage itself. So that was that one's going to be a good resource. But also um, I have a keyword study Bible. Um, that one isn't online. You have to purchase it, but it actually has some of the, the strong numbers in the text itself. So it's a study Bible that has keywords already highlighted. So if you're interested in study Bible that has keywords, then the keyword study Bible is a good one. Yeah. Uh, and then if you if you like me, you like books something in your hand that you can hold and <laughs> mark up A.T. Robertson words and pictures of the New Testament is, mm. is a excellent word study resource. Mm. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you for joining us for the growth factor podcast. We hope you have an amazing time as we work through a word study in a session called all words matter. And if you want that shirt, I think pastor Thomas is selling them for you. Okay. So, what I want you to do, though, is to follow us on all the streaming platforms for our podcast. We're grateful for our listeners being able to tune in regularly. But we need you all to do us a favor. Also, go over and rate and review the podcast. It helps us uh, to be able to be more visible so that we can bless people with the opportunity to be able to learn how to study the Bible. If it's been a blessing to you all, we ask that you would be blessing to others by leaving us a rating and a review. I also wanted to encourage you to join our growing community over at the Growth Factor. We're over 900 folks in the Growth Factor and our pastor of online pastoral ministry, Crystal, Pastor Chris, is doing an amazing job, amazing work with the Growth Factor family. So come on over, join the family. We'd, we'd love for you to come on over to the house and have some lemonade with us. Appreciate you for joining us on this session and we're looking forward to next go round. Make sure you go and check out that text in Philippians 1. But we'll see you next go-round as we continue to make it make sense. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. 
Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.